اعوذ باللہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم امن خلق السماوات والارض وانزل لکم من السماء ماء فأنبتنا به حدائق ذات بهجة فأنبتنا به حدائق ذات بهجة ما كان لكم أن تنبتوا شجرها أإلهم مع الله بل هم قوم يعدلون أمن جعل الأرض قرارا وجعل خلالها أنهارا وجعل لها رواسي وجعل بين البحرين حاجزا أإلهم مع الله بل أكثرهم لا يعلمون أمن يجيب المضطر إذا دعاه ويكشف السوء ويجعلكم خلفاء الأرض أإلهم مع الله قليلا ما تذكرون أمن يهديكم في ظلمات البر أمن يهديكم في ظلمات البر والبحر ومن يرسل الرياح بشرا بين يدي رحمته أإلهم مع الله تعالى الله عما يشركون أمن يبدأ الخلق ثم يعيده ومن يرزقكم من السماء والأرض أإلهم مع الله قل هاتوا برهانكم إن كنتم صادقين الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على المبعوث رحمة للعالمين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد الحمد لله we reached the 20th juz which is a continuation of surah al-naml which had started in the juz number 19 Surah Al-Naml we had discussed was the chapter of the ant and the discussion of the ant with Sulaiman alayhi salam. Now the beginning of this starts with five evidences, five burhans, five proofs that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is providing from again things that you see around you, from the heavens, the earth, the rain and many other natural phenomena that everybody can relate to and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provides this so that we can, um, anybody who thinks deeply about this will be able to affirm their faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and increase their faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if they're already believers. So the first one, I mean just going through this, the first one is asking, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is asking is that who's the one who creates the heavens and the earth? Who's the one who sends rain down from the heavens? And due to which all the orchards and all the fields and the lands and the crops become very green. Is it Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? That's in ilahum ma'allah. There's a refrain in all of this. There's a, a repeat in all of this. Is there a God with Allah? Is there another God with Allah? Is there, but these people, they're just equating partners with Allah. Then the second, the second verse, verse 61, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, who made the earth good enough for you to rest upon, to live upon, to be stabilized upon, who put through, ray, uh, who put through rivers and lakes and mountains, and who, who is it that created between the two oceans that, uh, that invisible barrier? Again, that, that's mentioned there. Uh, unfortunately, majority of them just do not know. That's what Allah says. The third one, who is it that assists those who are in trouble? those who are desperate, those who are oppressed, those who are sick, and so on and so forth. Who is it that removes all of these things from them? Uh, so little do you think, so little do you take heed. Then the fourth one is, who is it that, who is it that guides you in the darknesses of the night? Right? And likewise in the oceans. Who is the one that sends the wind uh, full of his mercy, before his mercy? Again, they're just too arrogant Actually, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is way transcendent above what they impartner with Him. And then the last one is, who is the one who created you the first time? Who's the one who originates creation? 
then after that he will resurrect them as well he'll bring them back to life and who is it the one who is it that gives you sustenance in the heavens and the earth is there a god with allah now finally allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then challenges them and he says okay why don't you bring the proof if you are truthful and we've just brought these five proofs we've just shown you from completely essential realities that you can see observable phenomena outside now you bring your proof if you're going to if you're truthful so that's how it begins and that is basically the quran's normal method that it just invokes things that you can clearly see outside generally uh, either from the universe or from the human being themselves one's own feelings that's why people have found the quran just to be so intuitive uh, once they take away all their subjectivities and all their biases and their hatred and everything and they actually look through the Quran and let it come through they actually notice that it's actually speaking to them it's not speaking to somebody else it's actually speaking to them it's very personal engages with them and again the same thing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying tell them that uh, they should bring the evidence that bring your evidence if you're truthful so the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam is guided throughout this process so Essentially the discussion, the, the points of discussion is everything in the world Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses that to explain And for most people who will read that, they will, they will have to submit After that, the other thing which the mushrikeen had a big problem with um, Aside from the idols that they used to worship in, even though they believed in Allah Is resurrection So that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then mentions their uh, objection and then the and then the response to that which you can see in verse 67 uh, what I would uh, suggest to everybody is uh, don't uh, to get the most out of this it's always good that you sit with a translation if you sit with a translation while I do go fast sometimes then you can't always keep up but at least then you can make little notes or whatever and you can actually see the translation while I'm explaining it so that's better because I can't always translate everything in the short time that we have. So that was verse 67. Then we uh, jump forward because it's very common themes throughout. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then provides warnings. So now after bringing evidences, he also frightens them. He also provides warnings. Because remember, that's the whole dissuasion and uh, tarheeb aspect of the Quran. So he talks about how the punishment is going to be for the wrongdoers and so on. And uh, then there's some discussions about the Day of Judgment, if you carry on. So that's why if you look at from here, uh, in fact, there's one very interesting verse here, which is 82. Verse 82, which speaks about a sign of the Day of Judgment. وَإِذَا وَقَعَ الْقَوْلُ عَلَيْهِمْ أَخْرَجْنَا لَهُمْ دَابَّةً مِّنَ الْأَرْضِ تُكَلِّمُهُمْ أَنَّ النَّاسَ كَانُوا بِآيَاتِنَا لَا يُقِنُونَ So that's a reference to that beast of the earth that is going to arrive. Uh, as soon as the sun has that one, one for that one instance r risen from the west sun rises from the east all the time but as a sign of the day of judgment sun will rise from the west and once it does that that's a signal that there's no more uh, the doors of hellfire close uh, the door of paradise is closed there's no more conversion anymore so what happens is that whoever's a believer remains a believer whoever remain whoever's a disbeliever remains a disbeliever there's no conversion afterwards and that's why when this uh, Daba will finally come out, it'll be a beast, there's lots of descriptions about it, that it's made up in different ways and it looks like this and it's part of it, it's like this, I, I can't go into that detail right now, but it will have a ring and apparently with that it will seal everybody, it will brand everybody or basically put a sign on everybody, believer and disbeliever, because after that the day of judgment is going to occur, so this is a reference to that. Now from the next verses, verse 83 and so on, these are some of my favorite verses So this is striking an example of the Day of Judgment now It's one of the depicted scenes of the Day of Judgment And now if you carry on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in verse 87 Speaks about the blowing of the trumpet So that's the first Blast of the trumpet, so everything will swoon, everything in the heavens and earth, except whoever Allah wants. So that's why some people have made exceptions that maybe Jibreel and so, because of <clears throat> the Allah mentioning Illa Mansha Allah, except the one who Allah wishes. These mountains that you see so firm, 
immovable. You will see that they will be gliding. They'll be floating like clouds. Sun Allah. This is the craftsmanship of Allah. This is the doing of Allah. This is the making of Allah. Alladhi atqana kulla shay. The one who makes everything well. Innahu khabirun bima tafa'alun. These are very awesome verses. Really enjoy reading them all the time. Innahu khabirun bima tafa'alun. Allah knows exactly what you do. And then Allah mentions whoever comes, man ja'a bil hasana, verse 89, whoever comes with a good deed, then he gets better than that. And they will be protected from the, trem- uh, the, the turbulence and the terror of that day. But then whoever comes with the evil, فَكُبَّتْ وُجُوهُهُمْ فِي النَّارِ Their faces in the hellfire. هَلْ تُجْزَوْنَ إِلَّا مَا كُنْتُمْ تَعْمَلُونَ But remember, no oppression. You're only going to be compensated and given back for what you did. And then the next verses are beautiful. You know, there's certain verses in the Qur'an that are kind of referring to specific spaces. And if you understand them, and you know which verses they are, and if they're read in those places, it just adds a whole new sentiment, emotion to that, uh, to that reading. Because it just feels that much more real, obviously. That's why when you go to the Haram in Makkah and the Imam is there, and you can read it for yourself. إِنَّمَا أُمِرْتُ أَنْ أَعْبُدَ رَبَّ هَذِهِ الْبَلْدَةِ الَّذِي حَرَّمَهَا وَلَهُ كُلُّ شَيْءٍ I've been commanded that I worship the Lord of this area, the Lord of this city, the Lord of this location, who has sanctified it, and for him belongs everything. It's just amazing when you're standing in Makkah Mukarramah, and you read these verses, or you hear these verses, and they're just echoing around you. That is just absolutely amazing. And then, وَأُمِرْتُ أَنْ أَكُونَ مِنَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ I have been commanded that I be from the submitters, from the Muslims. And then, وَأَنْ أَتْلُوَ Quran. This is the way the surah ends, just in a similar vein to the beginning, how it starts with the discussion of the Quran. It dis- this is beautiful. وَأَنْ أَتْلُوَ Quran, And that I recite the Quran. Whoever is guided, is guided for himself. Whoever is misguided, then just tell him. That I am the Prophet. This is basically Allah is telling the Prophet to say this. Just tell them that I am just of the warners and say, Alhamdulillah, all praises to Allah. He will soon show you his signs. And you will recognize them, honestly. Like you will recognize them because your Lord is not unaware of what you do. And by that, this surah ends. So I've pointed out um, some of the prominent verses on there. And now we move on to Surah Al-Qasas. Surah Al-Qasas, Allahu Akbar, the chapter of the stories. And here, what you have is, again it starts off with Taseem Meem. Tilka ayatul kitab al-mubeen. نَتْلُوا عَلَيْكَ مِنْ نَبَأِ مُوسَى وَفِرْعَوْنَ بِالْحَقِّ لِقَوْمٍ يُؤْمِنُونَ It just jumps right into the story of Musa and Pharaoh again. And I think this may be, this is, uh, you know, as I said, this is again a very detailed story. In fact, most, most I would say, of this surah is the story of Musa alayhi salam. And the reactions to him and the whole, you know, certain events which have not been discussed are again discussed here. This may be the last of the longer discussions about Musa salam after we've had several before. So this one is a very interesting one. That's why I want to uh, provide some conclusions here and some benefits of the stories of Musa salam as, as we've been reading them. So Surah Al-Qasas is again a Makki Surah, so you can expect right, that it's to uh, focus uh, reinforcing the basics of belief and so on. It has 88, it has 88 verses. And most likely it was probably the 49th surah of the Qur'an to be revealed. And it has nine sections. Um, most of it, as I mentioned, is about Pharaoh and Musa alayhi salam and their exchanges and so on. Starts off with huruf muqatta'at and that's why immediately it says, this, these are the verses of the clear book. And then we, will, we relate to you, right? We, we relate to you the story of Musa and Pharaoh with the truth. For people who believe. So as I said, there was already information out there about various 
stories about Musa alayhi salam and Pharaoh, but they were like all over the place. So when the Quran says we're going to mention to you a truth, we're going to give you the real versions because we were there and we can tell you the real version. So that's kind of the idea there. Now, I'm just going to conclude this for you. I'm not going to read the whole thing as you know. Um, but in general, the, di the first the discussion is that uh, uh, e the Pharaoh is sitting in Egypt, extremely arrogant, proud, exulting in all the wealth that Allah has given him and the control and the power and everything that he's been given. But then he is shown, I mean, there's a long story which you can read in you know, books of, about prophets, but uh, he's, he's been shown that there's going to be a child that's going to be born from the Bani Israel, which were the huge minority there, right? They were a huge minority there. But as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions here, some of the things the way he would do, Ja'ala ahlaha shi'an, he'd actually managed to split up and splinter all the communities. So, that, and the point of that is divide and rule type of idea. So they were, although there were a lot of Bani Israel, they couldn't, you know, they, they could, the minorities could not get together to form a strong enough um, band against him because he just managed to ja'ala ahlaha shia. It basically separated everybody out. Yastad'ifu ta'ifat and then really put down some groups among them, killing their children. Yudhabbihu abna'ahum, as verse 4 tells you. But keeping alive their women And he was of the hugely corrupt ones So we wanted to Allah says beautifully We wanted to favor uh, Provide a blessing to those people Who were considered weak in the earth And we wanted to make them the imams The leaders And make them the inheritors And then uh, And to show Pharaoh, everything that they, they, they were feared. So now look at the way Allah plays this such beauty, with such beauty that the, Pharaoh is told that there's going to be a, a Bani Israel who's going to be born and he's going to be his death. Now, he tries everything. So he basically starts a policy of just killing every child. Before they could even get to their mother's milk, they should be killed. Now eventually they find out that if they're going to do that, it's bad for the economy because they're going to have less slaves. Right? All, the, all the boys that are going to die from this Because they, he's killing boys Little infant boys So then he said, okay fine Every subsequent year we're going to kill them I mean, It defies the purpose Now Harun is actually born in a year when they're not killed So he survives Then Musa is born He's born in a year that children are to be killed His mum, Allahu Akbar as Allah mentions His mum gets very worried But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells his mother Inspires her to say, now you feed him and if whenever you, whenever you feel that you know, there's danger close by, put him in a box. And she had a string that she would basically tie to the box that could not be seen and then basically let it go in the Nile, right, which was next to her house, it seemed. And uh, she would hold on to that. So that's the way she dealt with him and protected him for that long. However, on one occasion, what happened is that the, the string broke or whatever happened and it sailed forth. And she is now worried. That's why... Uh, while she's really, really concerned here, it says that ummi Musa fariga. She is just totally taken aback. She is in huge grief and sadness that I've just lost my child that I've done so much to protect. So on the one hand, while she's doing that, and it's so bad, Allah mentions that it, you know she, she would have disclosed it. She would have become hysterical. She would have done something, you know, unless we. Protected her unless we'd given her strength. So we gave her strength that don't worry. He's gonna come back Right, so we gave her that strength At the same time that's happening. Mashallah this little box goes and floats to Pharaoh's palace They pick it up and Asiya his wife Pharaoh's wife. She can't have children. She sees this like wow this child uh, Pharaoh wants to kill it because that's his policy and this is where you it shows the the power of women and the power of the wife Right? She convinces him that no, look, he's going to be a coolness of our eyes. And this is just Allah's entire plan that he wants to bring up Pharaoh's enemy in his own house. He wants him to spend on him. He wants him to basically look after him, to nurture him, to bring him up. And subhanAllah, pay for his upbringing and everything. And then after that, he be... Because that's how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deals with aggressors. So uh, finally, uh, the... Allah, the, the, his mother, Pharaoh, um, sorry, uh, Musa Ali Sam's mother, 
tells her, his sister, her daughter, that she needs to kind of keep track. So she goes and, as a, as a stranger, observes. Now they're trying to find somebody to nurse the child and he's just rejecting every woman that's trying to nurse him. So finally she pops up and she says that, look, I think I know somebody. She's a really good nurse. And lots of children take to her. She says, okay, bring her along. Right? So she brings, her, uh, brings the mother along and as soon as Musa is with the mother, he just latches on to her. Right? And then there's lots of details there, but basically Pharaoh then pays for, her to be look, for him to be looked after by her mother and the mother gets the child back, subhanAllah. And that's why Allah mentions فَرَدَدْنَاهُ إِلَىٰ أُمِّهِ In verse 13, we returned him to his mother كَيْ تَقَرَّ So her eyes could be cooled. وَلَا تَحْزَنَ And she's not grieving. And so that she knows that the promise of Allah is the truth. But the majority of people do not know. This is a huge lesson for us. Okay? Now, I want, as we read through this story of Musa Islam, as mentioned here, in this part of the story, uh, the rest of the surah, I want you to see if you can pick up a recurring theme. All right? I want to see if you can pick up a recurring theme. There are some people that are playing some very, in, very prominent roles that are featured here. Anyway, then after that, he, he, gets, he grows up in the house. And uh, Allahu Akbar. He grows up in the house and finally he's going around outside. I mean, he's probably got some liberties because he is, you know, Pharaoh's adopted child or whatever you want to call him. And then he sees that there's a skirmish going on between uh, one of his people, Bani Israel, and one of the cops. And basically he goes to kind of just give the guy a bit of a slap or a push or something. And he doesn't know his own strength, literally. I mean, because prophets are given a lot of strength. And he basically, qada alayhi, he finishes him off, as mentioned in, um, in verse 15. Right? And immediately after that, he doesn't become arrogant. Oh, whatever, he was his fault. Look at the verse. Qala rabbi inni zalamtu nafsi. Immediately, my Lord, I have oppressed myself. Forgive me. So Allah forgave him. Because Allah is forgiving and merciful. If you made a mistake, you seek forgiveness from Allah. Anyway, it carries on. And uh, he says, never again am I going to assist any kind of uh, trouble causes and transgressors and so on. But he's now worried because what's going to happen? Right? The whole tables are going to turn on him. So the next day, another incident, he finds that same Bani Israel, the same Israelite you know, from his own people in a skirmish with somebody else. Now he raises his hand and, or he, he comes across and that, Allah, there's two interpretations as to who said, who, who said what exactly. But it looks like the Bani Israel said, oh, do you want to kill me just like you killed that cop yesterday? So he reveals who Musa Islam is. Or it's the other person who says that. Anyway, now Musa Islam is very afraid, but a person comes along who's a, a well-wisher of his and he says, look, Pharaoh and everybody, they're actually planning to kill you. To, you know, he's given a command, there's been a decree, so you should get out. So Musa Islam just leaves. Musa Islam leaves and he goes in the direction of Madian and he says, Khaifan. He's quite worried because he doesn't know where to go. I mean, he's, he, he's quite concerned. But he says, My Lord, see, always make a dua to Allah. The dua, I mean, you think these prophets were just helped because they were prophet, so Allah was just looking after them? No, if you notice, at each instance, the prophet is making a dua. He's confessing things to Allah. He's discussing with Allah and that if a prophet has to do that and does that we need to do that as well so if we make a mistake or we're in trouble or we are in need or we're sorrowful make a dua to Allah really just think about Allah so he says Rabbi my nourisher my, 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 my nourisher najini min al protect me from these oppressive people anyway he goes to he gets to he gets to Madian and uh, in Madian now, he's seeing that there's this water reservoir with a large cover on it, which is very heavy. These guys come up, they move it, and they feed their animals, right? They let them water their animals. And then there's these two girls, right, that, are got, that have their animals with them. But these guys are so selfish, they actually close up the animals and don't let them uh, feed their animals. So then he's there, and he goes and he helps them out. So he moves that aside, he lets them drink, and then they realize that he's very strong, obviously, and he's very trustworthy, because he's not looking in their direction, as we learn from some traditions. Um, but he's helpless. So what you see first is, he goes and takes shade somewhere, and then he says, Ya Rabbi, inni lima anzalta ilayya min khayrin faqir. My Lord, my Lord, my nourisher, I am 
for whatever goodness you can reveal upon me, I am in need. So again, he's calling onto Allah. There's so many du'as that he does throughout this process. Anyway, so as he's sitting there afterwards, after these girls are gone, suddenly one of them comes and the prominent feature mentioned here is Tamshi ala stihya. She's walking with huge amount of modesty, chastity, uh, bashfulness. Very, very, you know, uh, bashful, very, very uh, uh, huge amount of modesty. That's a prominent point. And I, actually that goes to show that that's one of the biggest features in a woman. It's there in a man as well. But for the women, that's like a defining feature. And that's why in Islam, there's such a huge emphasis. And I know there's a lot of people, a lot of progressive people, they think, why is there such an insistence of, uh, of modesty on women? Right? And they say that it's not the same as on men. I mean, men are slightly different creatures. Not to say they shouldn't be modest, they should be. But it's just a lot more about women, uh, about modesty in terms of the covering and the way Allah has made them and the attraction and so on and so forth. So that's why it's a Quranic idea and a Quranic paradigm that women should be modest. I mean, there's no doubt about that, as, as well as men should be. Right? But there's no escaping that idea. Right? And you can tell where the rest of the ideas are coming from. So she basically says to him that, you know, my father is calling you, right? He wants to reward you for your helping us out. So he goes and, mashallah, the father is Shu'aib alayhi salam, right? The father is Shu'aib alayhi salam. And uh, uh, the, you can tell the girl is very clever. So she says to her father that, uh, why don't you hire him? Because, you know, we need help anyway. And the best person you can hire is the one who's strong and the one who is trustworthy, Right? Because when apparently there's a discussion in the, in the narrations about this That when Musa then went with her He didn't walk behind her She's the one showing him the way But he didn't walk behind her He walked in front of her and, and, uh, So that he didn't look at her SubhanAllah, I wish you know, we can observe this kind of uh, you know, In our own lives this kind, of, uh, this kind of precaution in our own lives And according to even some it says that She, didn't, uh, she, she, she used signals to basically uh, direct him afterwards Allah knows best But anyway she recognizes that So she says hire him And then the father decides that You know why don't I just marry you to one of them You can pick anyone you want Right And the mahar He doesn't have much money He says the, the marriage payment Is that You work for me for 8 years MashaAllah How many of you have had to work for 8 years For their father-in-law Right To basically get married I mean, you've gotten away with a few hundred, few thousand pounds, right? A bit of gold or whatever the case. He worked for eight years. And then um, Shu'aib Islam says, in fact, if you finish it to ten, that's even better, but that's up to you. And you'll find that I'm not, you know, I, you, you'll find that I'm going to be from the Salihin. And he comforted him and everything. And then he said, okay, fine. The Musa Islam said, fine, that will be, we'll decide whatever that is, right? Um, no, no force on me. Now, alhamdulillah, after he finishes off, it fast forwards to when he finishes off, now he's got his wife and he's on his way back, right? He's on his way back and in the midst of that, he sees some fire, goes there to get some, um, uh, something to kindle some wood with so they can have some warmth and he gets his prophecy there and that's when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks to him and gives him his miracles and tells him to go to the Pharaoh and release the Bani Israel to, let, to deliver the Bani Israel from there. Um, so remember this du'a of Musa alayhi salam Inni lima anzalta ilayya min khayrin faqeer as, as, as mentioned in, the, uh, in, in, in our story uh, uh, Verse 24 Keep that in mind That's definitely a du'a that we should make when we're in need Now what happens is he goes to the Pharaoh And then you know the rest of the story He says release the Bani Israel And so on I'm a prophet and so on And then Pharaoh challenges him And all the rest of it gets angry And then after that the whole magician story happens So then he escapes And then mashallah they delivered Pharaoh dies And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Just in verses 39-40 you'll see That it shows that anybody who's arrogant Then this is basically their ending Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can in the most amazing of ways, extraordinary ways, he can basically deal with them. So then there's numerous other signs and, uh, mention, uh, and, and other points that are mentioned about Musa salam and their reactions and other little, uh, other little accounts of their interactions, which I'm not going to go into, which you can inshallah read for yourself. But what I do want to mention here now is the following. All of these stories in the Quran relating to Musa salam and Pharaoh, they're mentioned so many times. And in great detail as well. I mean, you can, you know, there's a lot of detail in there. They just split up. They're just repetitive in different places. So, 
I've mentioned this book to you before, a book by Sheikh Hifdur Rahman Suhari, who was one of the prominent leaders of India, right, in the last hundred years, part of the, the whole ulama, Jamiatul ulama movement there, one of the uh, founding uh, people of that, uh, of that era. He's written a wonderful book called the Qasasul Quran or Qisasul Quran. So after mentioning the story of Musa alayhi salam, he mentions the following advices and lessons that we can draw from Musa alayhi salam. He's got a lot. So I mean, if you want to write them down, you can, right, to reflect over them. But they're definitely worth thinking about, right? And inshallah, if you read these stories for yourself, you, you should come to the very intuitive lessons that you can understand. Number one, I'm going to quickly go through them. Number one, if anybody is patient upon difficulties and uh, difficulties that Allah uh, throws at them, then they definitely in the hereafter are going to have a good uh, recompense and a reward for that. We understand that from several verses that we hear. Number two, whoever relies on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in their dealings, right? And relies on Allah means that they know Allah is behind them. That means Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make many of their situations easy. They'll have a good outcome. Number three, whoever, whoever's relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, has eventually led him to love of Allah and for, to become very, very closely beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then for that person, the greatest force of batil and, and falsehood cannot shake that person because they're just taken over by the love and that is what's powering them now. And that's what you learn from many of the incidents in this story. Number four, if anybody stands with steadfastness in the situations that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, with, with the truth, and they remain steadfast on the truth, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will generally provide you an assistance even through the enemies. So look at Musa alayhi story where his mother is assisted in protecting him, bringing him up, gets much more than she bargained. She thought if she could just save him, right, and then he goes old enough for him not to be discerned as one born in that year, that would have been enough for her, right, just that he remain alive. But she got a lot more to the bargain. And that's the idea, that once Islam comes into your heart like that. Number five, uh, whenever the faith enters somebody's heart and finds a strong place there, then... They're willing, to, they're willing to take on, then no, no criticism, no complaints, no aggression will, will shake them. And that's, that's the thing. If we find ourselves very weak sometimes, the focus should be on strengthening our faith by reading the Qur'an and doing dhikr of Allah, right? And understanding His, uh, understanding his power and our trust uh, and, and uh, tawakkul basically. Right, this is a very interesting one. This is what we learn from this, that one of the biggest detriments and harms of slavehood, of feeling, of giving up, right, of acquiescing and saying we can't do anything, to give up basically your, 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 uh, your, um, your efforts, is that you lose your courage, right, you lose your courage and you see that then, that they'd, a lot of them had given up. If it wasn't for Musa a lot of them all had given up. And that's why that psychology persisted with them, right? That mentality persisted with them. So that's why it took so long for that to, uh, for, for, for th that to be sorted out, right? If it, if it was ever sorted out at that time. That's why when Musa salam told them that, look, this uh, is the place that you need to get into, this is your Ard al-Muqaddasa, right? This is your holy lands. It's for you. You just have to make a little bit of effort. They weren't willing to make any effort. They were just so scared. Because that's what cowardice does to you. That's what resigning does to you. That's why you always need to stay strong. Number seven is that, uh, as mentioned so many places, that Yarithun al-Ard, we're going to make them the inheritors. The inheritors are going to be the people of the truth after as long as they make a special effort and they stay steadfast. Number eight, it doesn't matter how strong the, the force of evil is, right? Eventually, that force of evil will have to see its, will have to basically see its defeat and will see um, its, its weakness. Uh, eventually, it could take years and years and decades, but eventually it will have to come down. 
Number nine is kind of a reiteration that this is the sunnah of Allah, that any weakened group, if they make an effort, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will actually make them the in charge and the inheritors. Number ten then, we also then learn those who see the truth, understand it, but still reject it for other ulterior motives and other selfish reasons, then eventually they cannot accept it. They get veiled. Then they just can't accept it, even if it's staring you in the face. That's a really severe punishment. May Allah protect us from that. Like in your heart, you want to and you can't even maybe. Number 11, those people who then make an effort and then they get the truth and they get success, they have to be very careful because there's always pitfalls on the way. So those people who've gotten success, like the Bani Israel, they got success with Musa If they then start turning away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and causing corruptions, then that's going to be very dangerous, as they did. I mean, wanting to worship a calf and all the rest of it. Number 12, where you want to, where you realize the truth, but then you want to conform the truth to your desires. So you want to make it the way you want it to be. Now we get that example from the Yawmul Sabt, from the Sabbath issue, right? Where they were trying all sorts of ways to catch the fish, even though they were supposed not to, like leaving out nets and so on. Then number 13 is more about da'wah. So for the da'i, they need to make da'wah regardless of the situation. Even if they think that it's not going to have an effect, they at least need to do it in some kind of subtle way. And we learn that from the people who still continue to um, try to uh, give a lesson to the people who are being excessive with regards to the th- Sabbath. Right? Even though others telling them, don't, why are you bothering them? They're going, to, they're going to be punished anyway. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then gave them a huge reward for that. Number 14, subhanallah, a lot of the time a bad leader is put over you because of our own bad deeds. Collectively, if we can improve our deeds, we get a better leader. And the other things, number 15, what we understand from here is it is a sunnah of the prophets. It's a sunnah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through his prophets that he assists them in taking away weakened people from the oppression of the oppressors. That's what the faith will do to you, will do for you if you do it properly, unless you abuse your faith. Now, after that, for the rest of the surah to complete it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, if you look at verse, from verse 47 then, فَلَمَّا جَاءَهُمُ الْحَقُّ مِنْ عِيدِنَا قَالُوا لَوْلَا أُوْتِيَ مِثْلَ مَا أُوْتِيَ مُوسَى And it continues from there. We're told a number of things, because now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala generally always, after mentioning these stories, He brings relevance of those stories to the people of Makkah and to the Muslim community, or to the non-Muslim community that the Prophet ﷺ was propagating to. So now you've got the following, I'm just going to mention them, you can check up the verses, 52 to 55. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives a lot of praise to the Ahlul Kitab who brought faith, who, who basically became, uh, became Muslim. Right? Then verse 47 was, um, from verse 47 onwards, these are basically all uh, warnings to the people of Makkah to take heed from the story of Musa alayhi salam. Then in 57 it talks about a number of foolish moves and ignorances of the mushrikeen. Then in verse 60-61 it's talking about this dunya uh, just basically being a, something that you use it's وَمَا أُوْتِيتُ مِنْ شَيْءٍ فَمَتَاعُ الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا Whatever you've been given is just an instrument to be used, a tool to be used in the dunya and its adornment. You either use it as a, uh, as a tool, so you use your phone as a tool and some people use it as an adornment. Some things you display, right? Something used as a tool and something has dual purpose. You buy a really nice car to show off and to also use, right? Uh, but وَمَا عِنْدَ اللَّهِ خَيْرٌ وَأَبْقَى Whatever Allah has, whatever Allah possesses, meaning in the hereafter, right, and through the good deeds, that is just better and more enduring. Don't you comprehend that? So that's the discussion there. Then 62 to 66, this goes back to discussing the day of judgment. 
and uh, graphically describing that. Then after that, you've got uh, 668. Uh, it discusses how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates, right? And his, create, uh, his creation power and so on. Then when we move to number 76, 76 then starts another account, another instance after the general advices and arguments and things. This is, many of you would have heard of this. This is, إِنَّ قَارُونَ كَانَ مِنْ قَوْمِ مُوسَى فَبَغَى عَلَيْهِمْ وَآتَيْنَاهُ مِنَ الْكُنُوزِ مَا إِنَّ مَفَاتِحَهُ لَتَنُوءُ بِالْعُصْبَةِ أُولِي الْقُوَّةِ إِذْ قَالَ لَهُ قَوْمُهُ لَا تَفْرَحْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يُحِبُّ الْفَرِحِينَ This is now in the next several verses until 82. It's discussing Qarun. Now this Qarun is a very interesting guy who Allah had given a lot to from the dunya. But this is the example of materialism again. right? So this is an example of materialism from the time of Musa alayhi salam. Right? 76 onwards. So after basically the destruction of Pharaoh and everything, you have this person called Qarun. Now he is actually from the family uh, from the family of Musa alayhi salam, from the tribe of Musa alayhi salam, from the family of Musa alayhi salam, and according to some ulama he's actually his cousin brother that's a you know that's also mentioned maybe you know he was so gifted by Allah with provisions that it's very f- difficult to find an individual who's not a king right individual who's not a ruler like Sulaiman alayhi salam right or Alexander uh, you know whatever right it's very difficult to find an individual who's been given so much right so, for example, in the 1920s, 30s, one of the richest men in the world was actually the, the Nawab of Hyderabad. He was the wealthiest man in the world at that time in the 1920s and 30s. But anyway, this guy was very, very wealthy. And if you look at the description Allah provides, just the keys to his storehouses needed like a whole... Allahu Akbar. It says... Just its keys needed a whole group, an army of strong people to carry. So imagine how much treasure he's been given. It was just crazy amounts of treasure. Anyway, the story goes how they were, what it says, and this just really depicts the scenario today, that you see somebody who's very wealthy, who's got a lot at their disposal, very influential, and there, there are always going to be different reactions to these people. Right? So there's going to be some people, they're going to look at them with water on water, salivating. They're going to be thinking, I wish I had that. I would do this, I would do that. So they're, they're just yearning for that. Right? They don't understand the problems with such an, the, the pitfalls of such an issue, the troubles and the fitna with such an issue. Then there's the other group who, who will advise these people that, look, this is, not a, this is not, you know, we just need what we can get by with. This is not necessary. We just need bulgha. We just need enough to get us by with. So anyway, eventually, Musa Salam tried to reason with him, tried to say, look, who gave you this? And he said, no. Innama utituhu ala ilmin indi. I was given this because of knowledge that I had. Who gave you that knowledge then? See, people, they, they think of one, they said, oh, my father gave me this as inheritance. Well, who gave it to your father? Who made you the son or daughter of your father? Eventually, Allah has to fit in there somewhere. So they just stop somewhere. This is the problem with most of us. We stop somewhere. We need to move, go back to Allah. Then you realize Allah is with everything, behind everything. So eventually when he did not listen, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to make him a lesson and a sign for people. So he basically, his punishment was that he, he just collapsed into the ground, sunk. Subterranean collapse. He just, everything just became buried with all of his treasure. So it wasn't like, okay, his treasure was there for people to take. No, everything went just to show the complete insignificance of what, what he had. So now, then Allah then shows against, again, the reaction to, uh, to, to him. That's why those who were wanting to be in his place yesterday, they started saying, You know, Allah expands his sustenance for whoever he wishes and he contracts and restricts it for whoever he wishes. And then they actually feel remorseful. They're saying, if Allah had not... If Allah had not favored us, then we would have also sunk into the ground. And disbelievers like this can never, uh, can never gain, uh, can never gain um, success. Then there's a very important verse, which is verse 83, which is, تِلْكَ الدَّارُ الْآخِرَةِ Those are the abodes of the hereafter. 
Allah is saying that, okay, this is all dunya, dunya that you're talking about. Really what you must be focusing on is the Darul Akhirah. That's, نَجْعَلُهَا لِلَّذِينَ لَا يُرِيدُونَ عُلُوًا فِي الْأَرْضِ وَلَا فَسَادًا Now this is coming after both Pharaoh's story and after Qarun's story, which are two separate kind of stories, but similar problems. So Allah is saying that those are the abodes of the hereafter which we designate for those who are not trying to gain ascendancy and tyranny and uh, haughtiness in the world and nor causing corruption in the world. Because وَالْعَاقِبَةُ لِلْمُتَّقِينَ And the final beautiful consequential end is for those who fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So may Allah, we need to stop here and make a dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He allow us to learn a lesson. He has set our priorities right and He give us that beautiful end that is promised to the muttaqeen by making us of them. Then Allah mentions in verse 84, whoever does any good deed, and again, the promise, good deed, you get better from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whoever does a bad deed, Allah will punish them, can punish them, and, and so on. And thereafter, this, this, uh, this dua, sorry, this ayah, verse 83, is actually something we should always keep in mind. Not just regular people, but even ulama, everybody. Because th this helps to channel our energies in the right direction. It helps to keep away the concept of riya and ostentation and showing off and selfishness and so on. Because if we can repeat this verse in our mind and keep focus, then we know that if we're going to do wrong, then that abode of the hereafter that's promised is not for us. Otherwise, it is for us, but we need to make the right effort. So inshallah, we ask Allah to make this a source of uh, lesson for us and always to remind us. Thereafter, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the last verse of this, He says, after discussing the Qur'an and so on, He says, Do not call on to any Allah, do not call on to any God beside Allah. There is no God except He. Everything is going to perish. This is a very famous verse. كُلُّ شَيْءٍ هَالِكٌ إِلَّا وَجْهَ Everything is to perish and dissipate and disappear except His countenance, meaning Allah. Only Allah will remain. Everything else is going to dissipate. لَهُ الْحُكْمُ For Him is all command. وَإِلَيْهِ تُرْجِعُونَ And to, you, to Him you will be returned. So that ends the surah for us. There were one or two verses which I already pointed out to you that are to focus on. There's another one I want to, two actually. One is the famous verse that is generally quoted when we're talking about da'wah. It's basically a guidance on da'wah that, look, don't get upset if you give da'wah and they don't accept because at the end of the day to change somebody's heart, you know, that's Allah's job, right? That's why uh, this is also used, this was revealed, I think, with... Uh, Abu Talib when he refused to say La ilaha illallah on it, even on his deathbed. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, la tahdi man You cannot guide who you wish. Now guidance is on two levels, right? One guidance is uh, showing the person the way. So let's say somebody comes to London and says, where is the Aziziyah mosque? So I tell him, okay, you go right, then you go left, and then you go in this way, and then it's about five minutes down there. I don't take them there, I give them the direction. That's the first level of guidance. The second level of guidance, I said, come on, I'll take you. So I get him into my car, I walk him to the masjid, and here you go. Isal, right? That's like leading to them. One is giving instructions, the other one is leading. Uh, we, what we have to remember that even with the prophets, السلام, it's the first level of guidance, it's that first stage. The second one, which is to take you there, to make it happen, to change the mind, that's up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's Allah's prerogative. Of course, Allah has given some people much more efficacy than others, right? Like the prophets and so on. And some people, mashallah, when they show the way, then people do reach, right? And we have to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us that golden finger or that golden tongue or whatever you want to call it. But at the end of the day, it's Allah's prerogative. And He knows best. He know, he's the most aware of the guided ones. Now the next verse is when the Prophet sallallahu would tell him, believe. And this teaches us a lot of lessons. These are the excuses they would have. Because remember in Makkah, they were still persecuted minority, the Muslims, right? So he's saying, uh, Allah, uh, 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 th their response is, وَقَالُوا in This is the next verse, which is verse 57. إِنَّ نَتَّبِعِ الْهُدَى مَعَكْ 
if we were to follow the guidance with you, نُتَخَطَّفْ min ardina, We'd be basically plucked out, meaning the rest of the Arabian community, the rest of the tribes and so on, because they're against Islam or whatever, we're going to be destroyed because of that. We, you can tell they've got a, maybe a bit of inclination. They can see the truth. They can, they're inclined towards it. They're not willing to make the move because they're scared. And this is a lot of people. They don't want to become religious. They're Muslims, but they don't want to become religious. They don't want to start praying or wearing hijab or uh, uh, acting in a Muslim way or avoiding some haram because they're worried about their friends' circle or their family members. Or what are they going to say to me? This is a huge uh, difficulty and hindrance, obstacle that comes about. So then Allah responds to them. It says, أولم, Three things. أولم نمكن لهم حرمنا مناً يجبى إليه ثمرات كل شيء Number one, haven't we already put you in a place? I mean, this obviously doesn't refer to all of us. This refers to the people of Makkah. That didn't I already put you into this sanctuary, this protected sanctuary, that even in the past when Abraha came to attack, when you guys weren't even believers, you were protected because of the house of Allah, because you are servants of the house of Allah. Allah's already given you that special position. Number two, uh, and, and, and the fruits of all places come to you. That's an amazing thing, right? And uh, that's one thing. Number two was uh, number two. Haven't you? Haven't we supplied with you so many flavors? So yujba ilayhi thamaratu kulli shay. Haven't we been supplying with so many favors? Can you not then put your trust in Allah that He's given us so much in the past? He can give us a lot more, right? So number one, we've already protected you. Number two, we've already always been supplying with you, supplying you. And number three, that even if you were to be Persecuted, it'll only be for a short time and eventually it will be yours. The ultimate happiness will be yours. So that's something to think about. And finally, I think that covers, um, that covers it all. That covers it all for us. So now let us move on to the last surah, which is Surah Al-Ankabut. The surah of the... What does Ankabut mean? The spider Right, that the, there's a discussion here about the spider, and uh, it's a small discussion. Just, it's an example. It's actually just an example that's provided. But, mashallah, that's kind of like the prominent point. Just one point. It's not the prominent theme. The prominent theme of this surah of Suratul Ankabut starts off, and Allah introduces it as soon as it says Alif Lam Mim. nasu an yutraku an yaqulu amanna wahum la yuftanun. Right, I'm going to translate that for you and I want you to see I want to see if any of you have recognized what the anomaly is here. Alif lam mim, right? Do people think, right? Do people reckon that they're going to be left alone uh, once they've said amanna that I believe and they're not going to be tested? That is the main theme of this of this of this surah. That's a big theme of this surah. It's all about tests. So Allah is going to provide several different examples of tests from Ibrahim Nuh Lut and so on and showing that look tests will come but ultimately the success is for those who go through a test. It's the nature of the world to have tests. Right now we're going through a test. May Allah grant us uh, success. We tested the people before you. Laid bare. Right? So then Allah will surely know those who are of the truth, right? Those of, uh, uh, of the truth and those who are lying. But then Allah also talks about the, the evildoers and so on. So all of that discussion is there. Surah Al-Ankabut is a, again a Makki surah and it has 69 verses. It, I think it was the 85th surah to be revealed, right? According to some numberings. And uh, it has seven different sections in there. Again, uh, it's about emphasizing the basis of the faith, but the, the, the special feature here is the sunnatul ibtila, you can call it. Allah's, Allah's uh, mode and Allah's trend of testing the believers, that they're going to be tested in some way or the other. Right? This is, would be a very good surah to read when you're when we're being tested in different ways, definitely to bring a lot of issues. So whether that be, and, and it was very relevant to obviously the Makki period because that's when they went through numerous types of 
difficulties, persecutions, oppressions, and so on and so forth. And that's how Allah differentiated between munafiq and the, and the believers. The person with iman, he, he, as we mentioned from the lessons of Musa story as well, once that iman, the stronger it is, the higher will be your fortitude. Because ultimately, even if you're destroyed in this world, the hereafter, you've got paradise anyway. So, if you look at some of the verses now, it says, in verse 10, for example, وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَقُولُ آمَنَّا بِاللَّهِ Allahu Akbar, look at this. There's some, people, there's some among people who say, آمَنَّا بِاللَّهِ We believe in Allah. فَإِذَا أُوذِيَ فِي اللَّهِ Then when they're troubled, harassed, and given some difficulty because of, Allah, uh, because of their faith, right? We, you know, regarding Allah. جَعَلَ فِتْنَةً النَّاسِ كَعَذَابِ اللَّهِ They treat people's troubling them as though it's a punishment from Allah. So shaitan makes them believe that Allah hates me. And this happens to a lot of people who start to become more righteous and start practicing. They suddenly start feeling that everybody goes against them. And then they think Allah doesn't like me. How can this be? I'm practicing. They say I was better off when I was not practicing. I'm not joking. Several people have said this to me personally. I was better off when I wasn't practicing because I didn't have all this trouble. That means Allah must hate me. Right? Again, these are just various ways of shaitan and his intrigues to stop people. So that's how some people do it. right? Some people, um, they just... On smallest excuses, they, they lose their path. They're fine for a short while and then they miss their previous life, so they go back. Then you, you'll, some people actually apostatize. They change the, some people just change their name, but some people effectively apostatize. And some people really apostatize. They leave their faith. So this is a surah that people should read who are having doubts about faith. Or if you know people who are having doubts about faith, then you should really think about that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَوَلَيْسَ اللَّهُ بِعَالَمَ بِمَا فِي صُدُورِ الْعَالَمِينَ Doesn't Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, isn't He completely aware of what is in the hearts of people? And another reason He provides that He can tell the difference then between the people who believe and between the people who are munafiqeen. Some of the disbelievers, they say to the people of faith, now they may not say this clearly like this, right? But they say this in various, and you can relate to this, right? They say, you follow our path and we'll carry your sin for you. They don't say it in so many words. It's like, don't worry about it. We'll take, we take responsibility. They kind of convince you to think like that. Right? This is verse 12, right? They, they definitely are not going to carry any part of their, their sins. They got their own sins. They can't take your burden off you. Right, they're liars. أثقالهم أثقالهم yes, they're going to carry their sins and a lot of other sins on top of that or the people they misled. Right, but that doesn't mean that your sins will go away. And they're going to be surely questioned on the day of judgment about what they used to fabricate. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the stories of the prophets. So he talks about Musa alayhi salam and that's when he taught, sorry, first story here is Nuh alayhi salam, he's the earliest after Adam alayhi salam. Right? Adam alayhi salam didn't have too many of these issues. A lot of the problems started with Nuh alayhi salam's time. People just did not believe. So it discusses Al-Fasanatin, a thousand years. I mean, to give, I mean, rather than say 950 years, Allah says a thousand years minus 50. Greater impact. Thousand years minus 50. 950 years, and then eventually they were persecuted, and, and so on. Then Ibrahim alayhi salam is the longest coverage here, right? Eventually, even uh, when he refused to accept them, they said, Uktuluhu aw harriquhu, as verse 24 will tell you. Their response, the only response they could muster is kill him or burn him. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected him from the fire. Protected Nuh from the storm, from the water, from the floods. Protected Ibrahim from the fire. How many more examples do you want? Allah's protecting, right? I mean, people aren't going to throw you into a fire today, inshaAllah. I mean, some places they have in the Rohingyas and so on, right? But generally speaking, they're not going to put you into, you know, they might... So, I mean, I guess they do uh, waterboard people, right? But at the end of the day, Allah will, Allah will give you safety eventually. Allah will give you the ultimate uh, reward for all of this. Um, so then Lut salam's story is mentioned after Ibrahim salam's story. But again, his people, that problem is mentioned. And then the response to that as well. And then he actually mentions that 
when the people first came to destroy Lut they first came to Ibrahim to give him glad tidings. Right, about a child that's mentioned. And then after they went to Lut and they went to Lut and then they destroyed them. But Allah again protected him and the believers with them. And then after that, it talks about Madian and Shu'ib and so on. And then the Aad and Thamud in brief. Then Qarun and Fir'aun and Haman are just reminded, we're reminded about them again. And then the discussion is about Ankabut. How is that relevant? So that comes in verse 41. That those people who take uh, friends, associates um, besides Allah, who take uh, gods and other lords and everything besides Allah, the, tr- the, the, the strength of that friendship, the strength of that belief or whatever is It's just like a spider web. While it's very intricate, I mean, if you've seen the way a spider spins its web, it's fascinating. Close up of it, I've seen it, it's on YouTube, you can, you can check it up, it's quite amazing. Right? You don't have to go and see it in Ramadan. But um, the point is that it is so... I mean, I'm looking down there as though there's a spider web there. This masjid is actually very clean. I don't think they've got any spider webs. But generally, it's in a corner. So it's as weak because you just take something through it and it's dead. It's gone. All of that intricate work is gone. So intricate intrigues or whatever the case is, in a moment it will be gone. It has no staying power. That's the whole point. It says, all of these that you take on besides Allah, they just like the spider web. Ittakhadat bayta, or, or, or rather the spider, which basically b- s- builds a house. Right? So, ankabut, the spider that builds the house. But the weakest of abodes, the weakest of homes, is that of the spider. If only they knew. And finally, it finishes. This penultimate verse, these are examples that we strike for people. But though they're so clear, only the, the ones who know will comprehend them. Allah creates the heavens and the earth, has created the heavens and the earth with truth. And in it, it's huge signs for the believers. So, just to quickly recap now. As we finish this off, I think I've pointed out all the verses from here that I wanted to point out. And then there's some very prominent verses coming in the rest of the surah. In the remaining part of the surah, which will be in Jews 20. But anyway, it starts off with uh, Surah Al-Naml. Part of it starts off with establishing the points of Tawheed and uh, the lessons from there. Then it discusses the, some depictions of the Day of Judgment. Then we start Surah Al-Qasas and in there it discusses those people who are considered to be downtrodden, subjugated and weak and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to give them ascendancy and then after that how he gives them ascendancy through the stories of Musa salam, his mother, uh, the nursing, the pharaoh and, and so on and so forth. How Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala strengthens the hearts of a single woman like the mother of Musa salam, that goes to show how he can do that for any other mother. Right? Then after that, there's the discussion about the, the copt and the killing of the copt. Then there's the discussion about the, the daughters of Shu'ib and Musa salam's encounter there, then his marriage and so on. Uh, the, the wife of Pharaoh is discussed. Then there's the discussion about uh, him being supported by, which I didn't mention, but him being supported by Harun salam. And that's been told that sometimes you can't do it yourself. Now a lot of da'is, they think they can do it themselves. No, sometimes you need assistance, right? So for example, a lot of work that I do here, I've got an assistant. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has provided me this Ismail, right? Brother Ismail is an assistant. So that's, that, that happens. And they, they take a share in, in the benefits and everything like that as well. Then after that, you, uh, it's the discussion about to the, to the mushrikeen that you must believe the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and lessons to be drawn from the Bani Israel. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's discussion about Qarun, his story, and before that were signs, uh, again, some phenomena from the heavens and the earth that Allah discusses. Then at the end of Surah Al-Qasas, we have this discussion that just like, Fair, just like Musa Salam is sent out from his city, then he comes back. The idea is that for the Prophet something similar is going to happen. That's exactly what happened. He came back to Makkah Mukarramah. Then Surah Al-Ankabud discussed all the fitnas and the trials and tribulations and challenges that uh, believers will fa- has, have always faced. And will face as well, right? In terms of from your family, uh, f- uh, I- I- physically speaking, in your health and whatever, 
dunyawi aspects, possessions of aspects of the world, influence, positions, and so on. And uh, just the general other fitna of the long path of da'wah is told, us to, uh, told to us through the story of Nuh salam. And that's why um, there's, a, there's a last verse of this surah. Right? It, it fits beautifully, which will highlight tomorrow. If I don't, just remind me. The last verse of Surah Al-Ankawud clinches it all. وَالَّذِينَ جَاهَدُوا فِينَا لَنَهْدِيَنَّهُمْ سُبُلَنَا Those who make an effort in our path, we will guide them to our paths. No, those who make an effort for us, right? We will guide them to our paths. So that ends that. So now I'm going to ask you a question that did you figure out? I hope you figured out the prominent in Surah Al-Qasas, individuals that played a very prominent role. Now of course, you guys sitting wherever you are in America, in Malaysia, in Australia, in England, in India, mashallah, right? Um, I can hear you, right? I can't hire you, hear you whether you are basically the person sitting in front of the computer and listening, those who are taking notes, notes those who are maybe uh, listening, um, which I don't suggest, but uh, while you're cooking, some of the sisters who are, who are doing that because it's going to be iftari time soon, right? Who are doing some other work or whatever the case is. I can't hear you, but um, I will reveal it tomorrow, inshallah. And uh, just remind me if I don't, I will reveal it tomorrow in the beginning. A very prominent, just look through. There's certain characters, certain individuals I've pointed out, right? They play a very prominent part in here. Right, and there's a spotlight on that. So inshallah, we will see you tomorrow. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to live, to complete this, and long more to get a good understanding of the Qur'an. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of those who really understand the Qur'an before we pass away, and who can really benefit from the Qur'an, and who can be infused with the bar- barakat and the blessings of the Qur'an, so that inshallah, in the hereafter, we can ascend, and we can become better believers in this world. Wa da'wana anilhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.